0: We're in a a new series uh, in the Gospel of John, and this morning is just uh, week two. Uh, We began this new series only last week, and John starts out uh, in the opening chapter of his Gospel account by introducing us to the main character in this story and another guy. Uh, And here's how he starts uh, everything. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. but came to bear witness about the light. And so John starts out by introducing us to the main character in the story, Jesus. And he says that Jesus is the Word, He is the life, and He is the light. And this other guy he introduces us to, named John the Baptist, he's none of those things. He is not the Word, He is not the life, He is not the light. John the Baptist is not. And then the gospel writer goes on to tell us more of John's story, and so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to focus on the chunk of John 1 that talks about John the Baptist, and then we're going to jump ahead uh, to chapter 3 and finish John's story, and then uh, next week we're going to come back to chapter 1 and and cover the rest of, of 1 and 2 over the course of two weeks, okay? So that's Uh, The plan, Uh, but let's before we uh, jump into it, let's uh, pause and pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word, your word that speaks into our very day today. And so we pray, Lord, that you would uh, take this word, the living word of God, and and through the instrument of of the preaching of the word, that you would uh, so grant us your Holy Spirit, that the Spirit would attend to the words declared this morning. That that. The truth of Scripture, very familiar Scripture, Lord, we acknowledge that these are such familiar passages it's easy for us to check out. I think we know it, we understand it, and we pray and ask that your Spirit would so attend the Word that we would see and discover new things this morning, that we would see and discover new things about who you are, and see and discover new things about who we are, and discover And see new things about the wonderful grace that is ours in the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So John the Baptist, uh, who is this guy? Uh, Well, John has this unique distinction of being uh, the very last Old Testament prophet who did all of his ministry in the New Testament. His entire ministry... Uh, wrapped up before Jesus went to the cross. Yes, he, he had a little bit of overlap with Jesus, as we're going to see. But really, John was an Old Testament prophet. And he was kind of like what we might uh, imagine an Old Testament prophet to be like in many ways. He just kind of fits the mold of, of, what, we, of what we might expect. And the more um, I have studied John the Baptist, the more I realize I cannot identify with this guy at all. Uh, and we're going to see why that is more and more as we uh, go uh, through here. I, I mean, you can read a lot of his story in the other uh, gospel accounts as well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But, but here's the general context of John's story. G- John was Jesus' cousin in a way. Uh, John's mom, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mom, Mary, were cousins. And so John and Jesus you know, were second cousins or cousins once removed. I'm not, I can never figure out how all that works. And they were born six months apart, and they both had miraculous births. John's birth was miraculous because his parents were really, really old and shouldn't have been able to have kids, and Jesus's birth was miraculous because his mom was a young virgin, and so she shouldn't uh, be able to have kids. Uh, What's even more, they were both announced with an angelic announcement before they were born and famously when, when Mary went to visit Elizabeth when they were both with child, uh, John uh, kind of jumped around in Elizabeth's womb all excited that Mary was there with Jesus in her womb. And so these guys were connected. Uh, before they were even born they were connected. And John the Baptist, his dad, he, he was a priest, he was, so he was a, a PK. He pro- prophesied over him that he would be the prophet of the Most High and that he would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Fast forward to their births. Jesus is born, and soon after being born, he has to run and escape with his family to Egypt to avoid uh, persecution. And so we have no idea whether Jesus and John spent any time together. We don't know if they saw each other at family reunions or, or how that thing would have worked. We just know that Jesus' family went over, the, over here, and John's family was over here. But Jesus, as he was growing up, he would have been reading the Old Testament of the Bible and reading the prophecies about the Messiah, and he would see on those pages himself. And John would be studying those same pages and and, and and he would be seeing that there was a forerunner that was coming before the Messiah, and he would see himself. And so as the two of them grew up, they would have grown in their wisdom and understanding of who they were. And at some point, John the Baptist becomes Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation, you know, the kind of eccentric oddball in the family that everyone has. That's John. John moves out into the wilderness to live, and out in the wilderness, he he, he, he makes himself clothing out of, of camel skin, which is not the most comfortable thing you, in the world to wear. But he wears camel uh, with this big leather belt around his waist. And for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it appears his diet consisted of locusts and honey. And in these wilderness areas, he would show up and he would preach openly against sin. He would preach that people should repent of their sins and turn to God, and anyone who would turn to God, he would then baptize them, which is why he became known as John the Baptizer. Now, I have to press pause here for a second. Because the baptism of John is not the same as the baptism that we have today. He his was a baptism of repentance. His baptism was a visible sign of repentance. It was an opportunity to publicly testify that that they were turning from their sins and waiting in faith for the promised Messiah. Whereas our baptism includes, in a sense, a declaration of repentance, but it is about so much more than that. It is about a reaffirmation of the covenant promises of God. It is about a participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus, which hadn't even happened yet at this point, and it's also about the presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so our baptism, while it uses water in a similar fashion to John's baptism, ours is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, but, but anyway, th- that, that's just an aside. Just understand that the baptism is, is distinct from, from other biblical teachings on, on baptism and how we practice it um, as a church. And so John is out there preaching this Repentance. And if you wanted to go and hear John preach, you had to go out into the wilderness to see him. John was kind of outside of mainstream culture. And John is preaching, and in his preaching, he pretty much criticized everybody. He criticized the religious, he criticized the soldiers, he criticized the tax collectors. He pretty much criticized everybody in his fiery preaching except for one person. And that's where we we pick up our story this morning. Uh, John 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Which is a pretty good question if you think uh, about John the Baptist. They're like, Who are you? And if you think about it, there are a lot of great answers he could have given to that that question. He could have said, I'm a preacher of righteousness. It's a good answer. He could have said, I am here as a prophet of the Most High God. He could have said, I am a forerunner to the Messiah. He could have said all kinds of things. He could have said, I'm the guy that drew this entire crowd here from Jerusalem and Judea and the Jordan Valley. They all came to see me. But that's not what he says. In fact, he summarizes his entire ministry here in verse 20 when it says he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, who are you? And he said, well, I can tell you who I am not. I am not the Christ. And then they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, nope. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, I am not the Christ, I am not the Messiah, I am not Elijah, I am not the prophet, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness that Isaiah said would be crying out in the wilderness to declare that the Messiah is coming, that Christ is coming. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, and John answered them, I baptize. He doesn't actually answer their question. I baptize with water, John answered them. But among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now picture this. John's out there on the riverbank, and there are these people everywhere. They're on the bank, they're all up the, the way, up on the edges, they're everywhere, and there are some religious guys that have, are having this argument with John about whether he is the Christ and what he is doing there, and so it's kind of drawing even more a little bit of, a, of, a, of a tent, the attention of this crowd, and then he declares, I am not the Christ, but you know what? The Christ is here. I mean, imagine people just started looking around. Well, who is it? I mean, there are some Pharisees. There are some dignitaries. He can't be that guy. He's just a carpenter, John's cousin. So, So they're like, I wonder who it is, right? So they're looking around, trying to figure out who it is. But it's huge here that John is able to declare that he is not the Christ because he knows who the Christ is. And so by knowing who he is, He is able to know who he was not. And John was able to say, I am not the Christ. And it's interesting, if you go all the way back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, there's this great story where where God gives Moses his name. And And he does this while having this conversation with Moses out of this bush. And so there's this bush that is on fire, And it's not burning up. And and Moses is having a conversation with this bush. And in this conversation, the bush is saying, well, you need to go to Pharaoh and tell him, uh, the children of Israel who have been in captivity and slavery in Egypt, you need to go and tell him that he needs to let them go. So he's like, you need to go and tell Pharaoh this. And so Moses is like, well, what am I going to Do, go to Pharaoh and say, a bush told me? So he's like, who shall I say sent me? I want to know who sent me. What is your name? And in that moment, God uses the bush to tell Moses his name. God says, my name is, and you can just kind of imagine as as Moses leans in, and God says, I am, that's it. He says, go to Pharaoh and tell him, I am sent you. God's name is I am. A guy named Louis Giglio wrote a book a a decade or so ago with a great title. The title of the book was, I am not, but I know I am. That's really the life of John. John, because he knew I am, was able to know I am not. And in the book, Louis says, he says, when God says, I am, you realize right away, I am not. And I wonder after this whole conversation that took place in the, the river that day, what the conversation was like in the bars that night and in the streets and in people's home because John didn't answer the question that he was asked, but, but he did say somewhere around here is the Messiah. He's here. The Christ is here. Next verse. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold. And by the way, that is a word that we've lost. That's a fantastic word because it's more than like, hey, or, you know, it's, not, it's more than just like, look, it's, it's behold. It's a great word. So John sees Jesus coming towards him and he's like, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. But wait a second, John, it, 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 he's your, your younger cousin, but, but he understands that God, Jesus is eternally God. He was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So now now what he does is he answers both questions. Why did he baptize and who is the Messiah? He says, I baptize so that all of Israel would know that this guy is the Messiah. And he points to Jesus. And now it's interesting, he says in here, I did not know him. And I'm on, honestly, I'm not 100% sure what to do um, with that sentence because it's his, his cousin and his parents. And, and Jesus' parents knew because of the prophecies of the angels who they were. And so I don't fully know what to do with that. I think it's possible that he knew, but he didn't know no. Um, like, he, he'd heard the story uh, at family reunions about the angelic visits and about him dancing around in his mom's womb, uh, but he just didn't know, no. Oh, I think it's also possible that his parents were so old that maybe they passed away pretty quickly after he was born and he ran off into the wilderness and didn't see Jesus until, you know, 30-odd years later. I'm not sure what that means, but he, he does go on at this point to tell the story of the moment when he figured it out. And it was when Jesus was baptized. Verse 32, it says, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descended remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, notice right there, he's describing Jesus' baptism, which, we're t- which is, t- uh, is told in the other uh, gospel accounts. But notice that all three members of the Trinity. Um, are here. God the Father, the one who told him audibly so that he would know who to baptize with water. T- he, he's the one who told him that this is going to be the guy and the Holy Spirit sh- shows up in the form of a dove visibly. So we've got all three members involved. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit rejoicing to the, together at this moment of Jesus' baptism when their rescue plan for the world, God, ma- the Word made flesh, is recognized by John the Baptist. Verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold the Lamb of God. Again, John's whole life was about pointing out the Messiah and now he knows who the Messiah is. Now that he knows, he's not gonna stop pointing because the point is in the next verse, verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus, note that two of John's disciples stopped following him and started following Jesus. And that was the whole point of John's ministry. Now, of course, not all of the disciples uh, did this. You can flip over uh, to John 3, where we pick up his story in verse 22. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem because the water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, notice what's going on here. The disciples are like, whoa, 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 John, your cousin, that guy that you pointed out, that you said is the Lamb of God, that guy you were pointing out, he is now baptizing with his crew. And people are leaving us to go with his crew. This is our turf. We planted the first Baptist church of Judea, and now he is planting the second Baptist church of Judea. Really? No laughter? I thought that was a good, uh, fantastic joke. No. They're like, this, this, is, this is our turf. Jesus' disciples are jealous. Someone is beginning to steal John's thunder. John's disciples feel people are being forced to make a choice between Jesus and John, and it doesn't sit well with them. And, and, and it is with this complaint of theirs from his unhappy disciples that John the Baptist ends his ministry. Verse 27, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. These people who are following me, the crowds that I, I have, the, the ministry on the banks of the river? It's not mine. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have, I have been sent before him. I'm not the Messiah. My, my role was to come ahead of the Messiah. It's not important who I am. The only thing that matters is that people know who he is. The reason God powerfully used John the Baptist was because John recognized his own inherent nothingness compared to Jesus. Martin Luther once famously said, God created the world out of nothing. When I realize that I am nothing, perhaps God can create something out of me too. In other words, God doesn't need me to accomplish his plan. He can do it without my help and supervision or permission, and only when I realize that can he even really use me. You yourselves All about Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. Not, I can decrease. I'm okay with it. I really should decrease and he really should increase. No, I must. I must decrease. He must increase. The beginning of this message, I told you how um, I just feel like I'm so unlike John. I wasn't talking about the camel clothes or the leather belt or the dipping locust in honey. It's this part. If I'm really honest, in my fleshly places, I want things to be about me. I want to increase. I want to be the center of the universe. I want to sit on the throne of my life. I want to be in charge of my family and everything that I do. I want to control everything. And yeah, you know what? It's easy to say the right things. We would never be so bold as to say such things out loud. But in our hearts, it can be a, a very different story. The heart is deceptive, isn't it? So often we're, we're, we're deceptive about ourselves and about what our motives are deep down. And, I, and I'm ashamed how often, and, I, and I'm really, if I'm really willing to be honest with myself, and I guess with you as well, I'm ashamed how easily I can be jealous of others' success in ministry. How easily I can end up like John's disciples, upset that that Jesus' disciples are are baptizing more people. You know, it's so common for jealousy to be the the reason for carefully worded disagreements between people in ministry. and How damaging that is to our witness to Christ. We smuggle under the cloak of witness a dagger of jealousy. We want to be first. We want to be best. We want to be the center of ambition. We want to make sure that our ministry has prominence. And then, when there is some measure of outward measurable success, I'm ashamed how readily I tend to grab the credit and the glory that belongs to Jesus and to pull it onto myself. But our mission here as a church is to proclaim the liberating power of the gospel, not the liberating power of Redeemer. And that means it's not about us at all. It's all about Him. You, wanna, you want a scary prayer to pray? Here's a really scary prayer. God, if you need to kill my ministry or my job or my relationships or my plans so that your name can be known, go for it. You know what's scary about that prayer? He might say, okay. I mean, here's John the Baptist. His whole life is about Jesus. It's, It's all about pointing to Jesus, and he's been faithful. He declares really boldly, right? He must increase. I must decrease. And I wonder. I wonder what John thought his retirement was going to be like. The guy loved the wilderness, right? And so he's going to build a log cabin out and live out in the woods for the rest of his life, right? But remember the verse that I I just kind of quickly skipped over, verse 24? For John had not yet been put in prison. Now he said that because after this, John was put in prison. This outdoorsman who liked to be in the wilderness was put in a little hole with bars. And I've got to imagine that he was like a cage lion in there. This is a guy who wasn't indoors very often, and now he's in this prison cell and he's pacing back and forth, trying to figure out, is this what my life has come to? Is this the reward that I get for pointing to the messiah for pointing to Jesus and i i I know I said he must increase, I must decrease, but I didn't mean jail and we don't have more of an account in John but if you jump over to Matthew 11, you, you, you see the account gets really interesting because he gets to the point, gets to the point where he's like, he's like he, he, he calls one of his disciples and, and says, will you go to Jesus and just ask him one question for me? Ask him, are you really the Christ or should we wait for somebody else? Isn't that crazy? John's whole life was about pointing to Jesus. He heard God verbally tell him that this was the Messiah. He saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove onto Jesus at his his baptism. And yet he was like, oh my gosh, this this is not turning out the way I thought. Are Are you really the Christ or should we wait for somebody else? And in Matthew, there's this beautiful this beautiful response. This is Jesus' response in Matthew 11. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by or turned away from or falls away from me. Do you see what he's saying to John? I'll tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying to John, John, I'm coming to get you out of jail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you that log cabin in the woods, John. One contemporary writer, I love what he says. This is the description he gives. He says, what Jesus is saying to John has been far too barbaric for us to keep in the mainstream of Christian faith. Jesus was saying to him, John... I'm not coming through for you. I'm not getting you out of prison. I'm not sparing your life. Yes, I have done all this and more for others, but the path I chose for you is different from theirs. You'll be blessed, John, if this does not cause you to fall away. Jesus knew all along that John had been imprisoned. He very well knew the fate that John would face. Even then, Jesus understood his purpose was to save us not from pain and suffering, but from sin and meaninglessness. For Jesus, John was exactly where he needed to be, fulfilling God's purpose for his life. Why would he save John from that? And so what he says to John is, hey, the lame walk. The blind see, and the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And what is he doing? He's quoting the very passage in Isaiah that John had quoted about himself to see that he was the forerunner of the guy that was going to come and do all of those things. He was reminding John, I am. I am. My favorite part in this passage um, is when John's disciples start walking away. He says, as they, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. And I think Jesus did this intentionally so that the, the John's disciples would hear this and would report it back to John. I don't know that for, for, for sure, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if that was Jesus' intention. He says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Some kind of like little pansy weed? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, a prophet, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does he say? John is the greatest prophet that ever lived. In fact, I would argue um, that John's saying that he is the greatest person who's ever lived. But he says something better is coming. Something bigger is coming. Something that is going to cause John to pale in comparison. you know what that is? It's you, you lot. Listen to what one commentator writes. He says, the greatness of John the Baptist fades in comparison to the high position every believer has had since Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and the descent of the Spirit. Jesus says, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. You know what that means? That means that you, and you're probably not the least in the kingdom of heaven, but you might be. But every single person that is saved by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, every single person that places their faith in him is even greater than John the Baptist. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us every single day. We have had all of our unrighteousness ripped away and Jesus' righteousness placed onto us. And every single one of us gets to carry that because of the work of John in prison. And I wonder if John in prison was encouraged by this. We don't know. We know that he eventually, he was beheaded and his head was taken on a silver platter to be given as a gift to an entitled princess and that was the end of his life. He decreased, really. And if you want a point of application this morning... If you're a note taker this morning, well, I've got three words for you to write down this morning as a point of application. Write these words down, maybe even tape them on your bathroom mirror so that you can be reminded of them every morning. And they are these words I am not. I am not. It really stands in contrast to to what the world is continually telling us to do. We are continually told to speak words of affirmation over 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 yourself. I am this. Oh, I am that. I am the other thing. No, I am not. Doesn't that feel good? I'm not the Savior. I'm not the Christ. I can't fix this thing. Just to rem- regularly remind ourselves, I am not. In Louis Giglio's book that I mentioned earlier, he talks about this in a much better way than I can. So I'm just going to quote him. That's what he says. He says, in the days to come when you're questioning, needing, searching, wondering, asking, and struggling, you will find Jesus' sufficiency at the end of every desperate prayer. When you cry out all the things that you are not, you can know that Jesus' answer is, I am. For every cry, there is one answer. I need help. I am. I need hope. I am. Who could possibly be smart enough to figure this out? I am. What works? I am. What lasts? I am. What's the latest thing? I am. What's the hippest thing? I am. I need a fresh start. I am, I need a bigger story. I am, my vision is bigger than my resources. I am, nothing's real anymore. I am, who can I trust? I am, I am not sure who's on my team. I am, nobody's listening to me. I am, I don't know, I don't have a prayer. I am, my marriage is sinking and I don't know where to turn. I am, I can't hold on. I am, my kids deserve more. I am. I'm pouring into others. Who's pouring into me? I am. If we fail, who will get the job done? I am. I'm not sure why I'm here. I am. I've given all I can give and it's not enough. I am. I'm tired. I am. I quit. I am. I can't. I am. I need to drink. I am. I need a fix. I am. I need a new lover. I am. Somebody just hold me. I am. And what does this great I am say of himself? He says to you and to me, I am the way, and I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the Savior. I am Jesus, the solution, the restorer, the builder, the answer, the wise one, the coming one, the mighty one. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none beside me. I am the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Lord. That is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or any of my praise to idols. I am who I am. And that is my name. My memorial name to every single generation. You know when John gets done. Telling John the Baptist story. He, he concludes with this little uh, commentary. About Jesus that, that, that ends with, with these words. The father loves the son. And has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in Jesus, that he is the I Am, has eternal life. You know, John the Baptist may have been the last uh, Old Testament prophet, but I wonder if he was the first New Testament follower of Jesus. He believed in Jesus. He believed he was, I am. He believed that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he he gained eternal life through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Even those, the, those those things were still to come. You know, one of the, the most surprising evangelistic sermons ever preached um, came from the heart of this passage. Um, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's this famous story with a great Victorian preacher. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was once practicing with the acoustic in this massive hall, this massive o- auditorium before he was going to speak to huge crowds. And he was just testing out the, the acoustics in an age where there were no microphones. And he, with his booming voice, he boomed out the words of this text. And the, the story is told that a worker or a janitor heard, these, the, heard those words declare, heard that sentence, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And was converted on the spot. And you know it is as we too look at the lamb. Rather than ourselves, our problems or other people that we find life. Life in all of its fullness. The, which is the, really the great sub-theme of John's whole gospel. It saturates us as we behold not ourselves but him the Lamb who takes away our sin. Let's pray.